1: Hello, hello, or should I say, bonjour, 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 after my weekend in France, and welcome, bienvenue, to the Starting Line podcast, with me, Rich Lee, I've just spent a lovely couple of days out in Paris, watching the third place playoff, well done England, just about, and the final, the incredible final, where South Africa beat New Zealand, deservedly, let's be honest, Went over with some school friends, and 20-something years later, it is just as silly and ridiculous being part of that group of friends. We enjoyed the atmosphere, we enjoyed a couple of beers, and looking at my Fitbit, I've done 40,000 steps. Which, when you compare that to James Cracknell, or Cowder Wood, or Sean Conway, or the person we've got coming up next episode... Yes, of course it pales in insignificance, but i got quite chuffed with that, getting on for 20 miles. Anyway, enough about that. Today's episode is with Charlie Mullins, OBE. He's the founder of Pimlico Plumbing, based in London, and the self-styled, most famous plumber in the world. Charlie was born in 1952 in North London to a working class family, and in his own words, they were very poor, and he remembers going to school with holes in his clothes. He began working from the age of eight or nine, and that work ethic stuck. He started his company when he was still in his 20s, and he sold it a couple of years ago for £147 million. Pimlico Plumbing had, at one point, hundreds of recognisable vans driving all around London, and it was turning over £50 million a year. With that level of branding, Charlie's own recognisable appearance, and his controversial, impulsive, he would say straight-talking, approach to many topics, He achieved a level of visibility in the media that few, if any, tradespeople and trade companies have even otherwise gained. Charlie was awarded an OBE in 2015 for services to business, and he's been an advisor to a handful of prime ministers and governments. We talk about a lot of topics, including his upbringing, what kind of father and husband he thinks he was, his recent ban from Twitter having, in his own words, stepped over the line when speaking about London Mayor Sadiq Khan. We spoke about how that's likely to impact his own mayoral ambitions, how he thinks... He wouldn't have said those things if he was in better health at the time. The new business he's creating that's gonna rival Pimlico Plumbing and how he doesn't care that they're quite upset about this new venture and much, much more. Now, Charlie says some things both in this conversation and outside of it, which I don't necessarily agree with. I think it's important to be able to sit across the table and have conversations with people we might not always agree with in good faith. I think all too often, In 2023, we are seemingly, collectively, almost foaming at the mouth in our want for people to be punished and cancelled. And I air-quoted that, you didn't see it. I think it's a dangerous game to play, if I'm honest. And it's a sure way to ensure that the question isn't if something we've done or said comes back to bite us on the backside, but when it comes back to bite us. I'm sure there's a phrase about throwing stones in glass houses that applies. And I'd sooner have a conversation than maintain this polarisation. At the best, I think opinions shift. And at the worst, opinions don't change and each of you are only more staunch in your belief. This interview was recorded in Charlie's apartment overlooking the River Thames towards the end of October. I've recorded a handful of these intros for this episode. Charlie is, as I say, a controversial figure and in my hope to interview people, successful people, and find out more about who they are and why they are who they are and interrogate and investigate some of their thoughts, opinions, beliefs, and see just how those things might make that person just a bit different, just a bit more successful. And I'd hope that you all agree that the guests that we've had on in the last 12 episodes have been varied in terms of success, ambition, and backgrounds. So all that is to be said, all that remains to be said, is, without further ado, I bring to you my conversation with Charlie Mullins, OBE. The things I don't know about you, Charlie, are what happened before you got into plumbing. So I know you went to school and I know that you hated school and I know that you couldn't wait to leave and get on the yeah. tours with, with your mate. But before that, so where were you born and when were you born?
2: Yeah, OK, well, I was born in uh, 1952 in North London, Town, that area, but moved to South London at, uh, probably about 11 years of age first time I went to work was probably about nine or ten when I used to bunk off school and which is quite known out there and go and help this local plumber and undoubtedly that was my starting point I was so impressed with him you know he had money jewelry house lovely clothes just motorbike cars so even
1: at nine you were impressed
2: well, that, that's what impressed me. We come from a very poor background. Well, and tell then, me no, more about that. So, where, where were your parents born? My mum was London, and my dad was Sheffield, from up that way. But you know, I had three brothers, so you know, they, they, they just had very basic jobs. In a father, just worked in a factory, and mother, just like a cleaner kind of thing. Right. So, money was very tight uh, at that stage. And there um, were the
1: four of you. Yeah,
2: so like, yeah, yeah. All, um, all boys. All boys. Yeah. yeah. Um, but. It was So we all used to work kind of thing, and, and undoubtedly, as I say, that was a turning point. I remember the, this plumber guy that we knew in the area, it was, it was just like, no one could work out why he's got all this money, and different from everybody else kind of thing, and uh, I think I used to be off school quite a lot anyhow, just bunking off school mm-hmm. anyhow, because obviously I was never going to be that academic. and um, So it didn't interest you?
0: That's right, just yeah.
2: of, of no value at all, you know what I mean, I think I used to turn up for Kirk, carpentry, metalwork and things like that. Right. But, you know, logarithms and arithmetics and all that nonsense in Latin and... Uh... Were, you, were you popular at school? Do you have any mates? I wouldn't say I was unpopular, but, you know, I wasn't one that was in with a crowd kind of thing. You know, I, would, I wouldn't say I'm not alone or far from that, but I wouldn't necessarily be in with the in-crowd kind of thing. Right. Uh, and I knew I was different anyhow because... I'd be going to work, and you, didn't, you used to really tell these people, you so know what
1: I mean? all the others weren't really going to work? I mean, but, but you were no. all in that kind of working-class set. Like, you know, did you live near your mates?
2: Well, I lived near them, but, but you know, maybe, maybe some of them did have jobs. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, sometimes I used to work with some of them. If we go out car washing, you work together. But I had so many different jobs that, to me, it was just something that I kept to myself, kind of. But maybe one or two of my mates, you know, would have would have would have been in the same position. But when I think about it, though, you know, they weren't as poor, so I don't think they would have been. Do you know what I mean? The yeah. more I think yeah, yeah, about it. You know, because you, you know that when you go to school you've got, like, a hole in your vest and all yeah. that, and, uh, when you, and, and, or, or holes in your shoes, you know what I mean? And I never used to see that with other people. But, yeah, I used to always get the second-hand clothes, the secondhand. So shoes. you were going
1: to school in, like, holy clothes. Like, yeah. You know, did you recognise then that that's like, oh, OK, we're
2: poor? Oh, yeah, undoubtedly, yeah. Because, you know, some of the other kids were smart and... Uh, I remember was playing on like a bomb site one 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 uh, night. There was a crowd of us. And playing on a what? A bomb site. On you know, <laughs> a
1: bomb site.
2: A bomb site is yeah. where, in the war. I were not around in the war, yeah. but they'd bombed the building, yeah. and it was left as a bomb site. So we used to call it like just a few buildings down, but the brickwork was still on the floor, kind of thing. You know what I mean? So that was like an hangout place for us, and uh, you know, so it was all rubble and things and tunnels and bits of houses there. So we. Yeah, one of my mates came there once and he had this like jumper, and we we're all saying to him, Oh, you better off to wear some old clothes. And he said, These are not my old clothes. <laughs> and, it, and we looking at him like, To us, it was the Sunday best. or right. it must be Christmas, you know. And we we're saying, God, you know what I mean? It was so to us because we was all, you know, we just didn't have no money kind of thing. And we weren't the only ones, but, but, you know, certainly there was a lot of people there that had a different upbringing. Did your dad go to war? In the military, yeah. He was. Yeah. 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 So he was quite. Looking back on it, he would have been quite strict on the on work ethics. Yeah, and you know, so I he must have encouraged us to go to work anyhow because uh, at that age, you know, I was I, w- I was working with Bill the plumber, and uh, you know, I said to him how impressed I was with, with with what he had. I just and he just said to me look, if you you know become a plumber or do an apprenticeship, you'll have loads of money and you'll never be out of work, and and you know things like that that, that stuck in my mind, and it, it just impressed me so much. It just it just showed me how to make money kind of thing. It was working in top houses like. You know, Amsterdam, Primrose Hill, and everybody loved him. You know, I mean, everybody saw was like waiting for him and giving him tips and dinner, and you know, I was just like blown away with it. And and you know, I always say that when they talk about the seeds are sown, you know, un- undoubtedly when you're young, that was the turning point. And you know, I say to Peter, if he'd have been a bankroll, I'd have been a bankroll. <laughs> you know, because whatever he was doing, I wanted to do. No, I think I never, I never. After about fifteen, I never really met Bill again. And um, right, okay. And I tried to check him out. I think he passed away in two thousand nine or something. So. Right. Do you do you think
1: he knew that he inspired you?
2: I would I would like to think so. To be honest, one of his, one of his daughters contacted me once and said, "Thanks for mentioning my dad in the book." And she was from like a second marriage right. of him. And um, yeah, she contacted me, and that's when I found out that he passed away because um, you know I hadn't sort of heard from him, and you know I think he would have heard that I was doing okay. I'm pretty sure of that. You know. When I look back on it, but you know, to, I was sort of so busy that I didn't give a think of tracking him down and thanking him. He taught me so much. I mean, he just taught me. He was just so knowledgeable how to earn money, but so knowledgeable with people. You know, he'd spot wrong people. He'd say, like, no, we don't do this, we do this. And then if anybody tried to mug him off, he would put them in their place, you know what I mean? It yeah. was he was sort of not a guy that you would you wouldn't win one over of him kind of thing. I mean he was Sharp was a raise of the guy. When you were nine and you met Bill for the first time then how old was he? In his twenties, thirties, what was I would say he was in his thirties, yeah. probably late thirties, yeah. But he just impressed me so much. But but that was just one job, you know, when I bunked off school and then I used to deliver bag wash. I don't know if that you know you, people didn't have washing machines, so you take it to like a dry cleaners, but wow. it weren't a dry cleaners. They would wash it and then you'd you deliver it on a Saturday so the guy would um, drive the van and he'd be delivering like people's bag wash and you and, and get tips like that's that's what was the wages was the tips. But of course, uh, you know, he used to give me the ones that we running all at the top of the building. Yeah. You know I mean? like, <laughs> which is quite the way you do it, you know what I mean? And uh, you know, Or he'd give you the ones that, you know, you don't get the tip, you know what I mean, yeah. or, or that you shouldn't get a tip. So, you know, I was doing like bag wash delivering on a Saturday then Every morning I had like a milk brand, which was um, not like the ones where you got the milk flow. I had it where you used to push a trolley around right. and deliver it. And um, did, did your brothers work as well? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you all work. They've all done similar things like… Anything to make a quid. Any, anything to, to get to get money, like work-wise. I used to collect, like, rag, I think it was called rags and papers you used to go around collecting, right. knocking on people's doors, getting that, and then the rags are worth the more money, and papers, like, you just put them all together and then… Taking bottles back, beer bottles and and uh, lemonade bottles. Any way you could be useful. Any way you could. Yeah, be I mean, yeah, it was. It was. I wouldn't say it was easy to do, it, but it was many ideas, many things that you could make happen. And but I, I get a feeling that you know, I think I was ahead of the game, kind of thing, because I'd go round to the greengrocer woman and, um, do you want any errands? You know, and because they can't get out of the shop all day. She'd say to me, "Yeah, I need some snuff from." from the uh, sweet shop or something and, or, or yeah stuff and that and so I'd go to the sweet shop and get, get her what she wants mm-hmm. then I'd say to the sweet shop guy, do you need anything he'd go yeah I need some potatoes or apples and I was like getting double the money and then I thought to myself God if they ever find out I felt like I was fiddling them but you have been useful you have been you know well each one give me footprints like like for doing it yeah. and then sometimes um, then they send you to the wholesalers like and, and where we was was like it must have been like twelve or fifteen shops. So whatever shop, even a second hand shop I go into there and say, Do you need any errands done? She might say, Yeah, could you pop up and get me a sandwich from the cafe?" you know what I mean? And I thought, Oh, I used to think to myself, how clever is that? You know what I mean? And I have seen in business a lot of people that do um, you know, they do double things where you know especially in PR, they put you with someone else and they're getting money off of them, money off of you. So I've sort of learned that thing where you can do, you know, twice as much, yeah. but it looks like you're only doing one lot kind of thing. But it did worry me me at the time. As, <laughs> as a kid, I just thought, bloody hell, you know. And then I thought afterwards I thought, how clever I was that if, if when I look back on it. And uh of course with the shop thing, it just it went on and then it was a regular thing. So Were you taking that money
1: back to the family then? Or were you spending it yourself? Um or saving it, what were you
2: doing? Oh I'm not a saver. No, we would have spent that between like me and my brothers kind of thing, um, you yeah, probably, probably, I'm sure I would have had the lion's share of it, as you do yeah, in yeah, that yeah. business. Yeah. But, but it wasn't like your mum and dad were hoping or expecting
1: that you would bring some of that money back into well, the Well, no, house. I mean,
2: but we used to buy food with it and, and sort of, you know, I'm sure like sweets and things like that, but mainly other things. And, and, and clothes, funny enough, the second hand clothes, because yeah, thinking about it, we were about to get the money for the clothes. So it just felt normal. You know what I mean? Were you a um, close family? No, uh, uh, I would say we was close, but we we never had any fallout. Mum and dad's passed away now, and I still have three brothers. We all sort of went a different route, kind of thing. You know what I mean? They they've all done different things, and um, I think one brother had a like, butcher shop. Another one, he had a window cleaning business. The other one, he sort of started doing his own plumbing thing, like but just 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 on a small time, like you know. So so they all sort of done their own little thing in a way, and then but that's interesting that everyone.
1: Started their own business effectively, so you got a butcher there. You got yeah, um, you know,
2: but in, on a very small scale. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, very yeah, small
1: scale. Like it was like it's
2: rare for somebody
1: to go out and create. You know, for four brothers to go yeah. out and create all the sizes yeah. of, of different scales,
2: of course. But you know, they 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 sort of like. I suppose I have to say, you know, I'm the successful one from on, on it kind of thing. But I see what they was doing. Like it was always small, and the problem with with most business people is we think too small. We don't we don't think big enough.
1: I remember you say um, you said that um, your biggest regret in business is not going bigger sooner.
2: Yeah, that's exactly. We we don't know our capabilities, mm. and and you know I, I left school at fifteen. If only if I had left at fourteen, I'd have, my company would have been bigger and whatever. And then if only I had thought bigger at the time, and we'd have like dominated London kind of thing. With, with Did the, you not? Well, we had a fair share of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but you know yourself, you, enough. Is I know never what you're like,
1: Oh, I know what you're saying. Yeah, 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 what is enough? I mean, you know, it's, it's early to be asking the question. But back then,
2: what did success look like to you? Okay, well, I think all I wanted then was to be a plumber, and I knew what the plumber, being a plumber, would give you. It would give me what all the Bill things had. that Bill had. Yeah, you know, I was probably trying to sort of, you know, copy him, kind of thing. You trying to impress him? No, because no, we'd lost because he'd lost contact at that point. Lost yeah. Part of the company, but. What I'm saying is, I just could not believe how much, you know, he used to, like, get a big wad of money out of his pocket. And we're looking at it like as if he must have robbed the bank or something. You know, and it it was that, the the impression of that, everything. And he'd done it intentionally for us. And he
1: was, you would have met him down south London. Uh, North London. So you you were still in Camden at this point. That's it, yeah. What did did Camden look like in the 50s? You know, what was, oh, the 50s, 60s, you know, what was it like? And how's it changed now?
2: It's definitely changed. I mean, then it was like... um, a dump like a shithole, really. Um, but what I noticed when I look back now, there was one or two wealthy people in the street, and and I didn't realise that. Well, I, I probably realised it, but I realised that I couldn't understand why you got this mixture of this family you were poor, and then just along there they're like they're like quite wealthy. Mm. So I think it was a it was a mixture, but you only really notice mainly the people that are like you, but all of a sudden you go, oh, them people down there, they've got a car, or oh, them people have got, like, curtains up or something, you know what I mean? Or oh, them people are like, you know, got someone cleaning their windows, you know, things like that. So I think at the time it, it, it was it was definitely a down area, but there was a bit of sort of money about places like Primrose Hill and Amsterdam, which was just loaded with money kind of thing. So airs looked sort of very poor compared with that. And the change of it now, I mean, uh, people tell me it's expensive, it's very trendy there. I mean, I wouldn't want to live there, that's for sure. Well, true. see, I, I never tend to mention Camden Town now, and I just say that everyone I'm from South London because, you know, from the later part of 11 onwards, you know, I was still doing jobs kind of thing, but I, I used to travel back to North London and do them. Yeah. Now, obviously, not the milk range, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But I was still going back there. and, and how do you get around? Tube? Tube, yeah, Tube. But I used to bunk the Tube then, you know what I mean? It was like, used to just slip through with the ticket guy there, you know what I mean, or run through. And uh, it was just like, it was just so easy, you know what I mean? But we'd always been used to doing that. It weren't, weren't complicated, you know what I mean? And, uh, you, you know, area it is now, it's, it's, like, it's like breaking into a bank just to get through the ticket machine now, isn't it? But then you just, you just used to dart along, you know what I mean? Yeah. You'd walk slow up to him, and then as soon as he takes someone's ticket, <laughs> and of course he can't run after you because, you know, Yeah, that's he's when, got to stay there, right? Yeah, yeah well then... When, when sometimes they did used to chase you, then the rest of your mates used to slip through. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and of course you get good at them type of things. I think you get very streetwise. And with Bill, I mean, he was so I say so sharp as a razor. It was just like incredible. I actually thought that when we used to work in his big houses, you know, the the general talk in uh, around the area was, you know, that he's a crook and uh, where does he get all this money? And he, he used to go out and not on his motorbike, so everybody. Used sort to of think that, you know, he was up to something, you know, etc. And even I did as a kid. I thought, well, he's got, to be, he's got to be a thief or something, you know. He goes out at two o'clock in the morning. But, of course, he was going on an emergency job. But, no, you know, he'd keep his business to himself. And um, and I remember once he was working at, at Primrose Hill. And we're on the ground floor, like this luxury apartment. And we're doing in a bathroom. And, and, and he sort of opened the window. And of course, he opened the window to, I think, let the heat. Uh, was using blow lamps and that out. And I'm thinking, I've worked it out. He leaves the window open. Comes back at night and then robs them. They, and I was convinced. I don't, that,
1: and you're sure that he didn't?
2: Oh, for sure. Yeah. Because they loved him too much. Because, it, you know, it's just, you know, if he, it, it, it just wouldn't work that way. But, but in my mind as a kid, I'm thinking, oh, I, I've sussed him out. He's left the window open. But of course, these people, you could leave windows open because it was all like communal, like, you know, in other words, there was money people. Yeah, but yeah, where in Where we were, the poorer he was, you couldn't leave your window open because, Someone will get in there, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, and, and I thought, you know what, I've sussed Bill out, he's, he's a crook, like. he comes back at night. <laughs> of course, like we repaired a lead pipe in the, in the front garden and, and me being a kid, I'm like digging the hole and loving it, you know, water and mud and everything. You know, I remember there's load of mud on me and, 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 and the woman said to me, oh, I bet your mum will go go off about that kind of thing. And you know, I don't know what my reply was, but people said to me, I was, you know, look, if they ever say that to you again, tell me your mum's dead and they give you money, you know what I mean? No, yeah, I just that's that's what he told me. And but I'm sure I would have used that, you know what I mean? He said, you know, you tell me you ain't got a mum and they give you money, like, you know, and then and but there's things like that I remember. And would have I used that line? I'm sure I would have done. You know what I mean? I mean, whether, whether people call you entrepreneur, businessman, call you what you want. But I I regard myself as a money getter. And um, I don't know many people that are better money getter than me when when, when things were going there or through my life. And once things started going, you know, I remember once I used to work with Sammy Fox's dad, Pat Fox. He was a carpenter and he was a great money getter. So I think I picked up bits from him. Do you think being poorer was a reason that you wanted to do that? Undoubtedly. I mean, if if I'd have had money, I mean, you wouldn't get the work ethics because you wouldn't have gone to work. And people used to say to me, You don't stop working like you know, I'd be working every hour possible and seven days a week and I'd, I'd get home and if I got another emergency on the way home, I'd just turn a camera and round, go back. People going like and sometimes i have people with me, that's when I was on the tours, and they're going, like, I can't do any more hours, I've got to go home. I used to think that, you know, if there's an opportunity to get money, don't turn it down because if everybody can pick and choose when when you when you want to earn money, everyone would be a millionaire. Of course with that work ethics that definitely come from poor background definitely come from bill definitely come from doing all the jobs when did your parents pass away if you don't mind me asking uh i think about five six years ago so
1: they saw the success
2: they they sort of see it but i'm not sure that like i I didn't really publicize it if you know what i mean so I, i don't really know what they thought when you say you didn't publicize it well what i'm trying to say i'm not a guy walking around saying you know i've yeah, got, got this i've got this a week and yeah. you know what i mean and 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 you know and certainly not the worst thing you can do to people that have, mm. have no money is to be bragging you know what i mean like you know especially your own parents you know i think they would see the bit of success but they wouldn't have seen the full lot of it i don't think because just give them obviously a few quid here and there kind of thing but if i had that opportunity again it would be totally different but you know i i, I sort of wasn't generous enough, but but then, you know, they weren't the type that...
1: Quite proud people, possibly. Yeah, that, yeah. Would, would they have taken it if you would have put, like, if you're like, right, here's a house, here's money, would, I, would they have I, taken
2: I, it? I don't know, but, you know, all I'm saying when people say, did you, you know, But bet you looked out at your parents, you know, I, I can honestly say I, I don't think I did, you know, but obviously if I'd see him, I'd give him a few quid. But, you know, I don't think it would have been acceptable to, you know, they're not like car drivers or people that would ever buy an house. And, yeah. Do you know what I mean? You, you, you'd never take them out of the, the life that they've lived kind of thing. I think it's different these days with things where you, you look after your children more kind of thing and children, I think, they tend to look after their parents more now because it's a lot more acceptable to be doing okay kind of thing but it's,
1: it's also tough to talk to your family about money you know we used to have debt collectors come and take our stuff and all that stuff oh, oh that. it's horrible isn't
2: it not everybody sort of likes successful people you know they're they're you know yourself the, the more successful you are the more haters you get you know all, all, all i've learned in life is that nobody doing better than you ever ever knocks you
1: so when you were 15 is that when you went into plumbing straight away
2: yeah, I've done an apprenticeship at 15, straight away. I swear by apprenticeships because, you know, it ties you into a contract. A lot of youngsters don't really realise that. And um, it means that you're not going to move from job to job.
1: It's very difficult. And it works both ways then as well. It's great for you and it's great for them.
2: Well, well that's what it works both ways. But it's very hard to understand that at 15. And, and I was like doing the plumbing. And I was getting uh, 10 pence an hour as an apprentice. And my wages was coming to something like £3 a week. And then I had mates that was working in clothes shops getting 12 quid a week. And I'm like thinking, I don't get this. You You're
1: know? putting all that work in.
2: Yeah. and then but, but I remember one of the plumbers I worked with was an apprentice said to me, what you don't earn now as an apprentice, you'll get later. And things like that stick in your mind. And I'm thinking, so I'm going to get money later. Like I'm struggling as an apprentice kind of thing. Then I got married at 19 and uh, we had a baby at 19. How was that? How was it a shock, like in, in because all of a sudden it, that's growing up time? And if anything, it gave me more, more sort of enthusiasm. You know, I always wanted to buy my own house, and I think I bought my first house at about 24, 25, which it seemed quite young then because I never knew anyone that had an house in my family. And um, and I remember getting 100% mortgage, and, and um, i think and i somehow got it off the council we don't want to cancel So i mean i had a way that you done something that made it work and i was self-employed but i went i went on a company said something like i'm self-employed but put me on the books for a little while and, and of course it managed to get the mortgage thing and i, I was just shocked like mean, i'm thinking to myself god me, you've got this mortgage now and then the first house i bought was nine thousand pound and the last place i bought was this where we are now, my penthouse and that was 10 million so you know like when I look at that type of comparison I think myself well it was an achievement to buy the first house and I was so excited about it but the problem is you know I was renovating it and all and working and you know but but the good thing is you know I had the time and energy drive enthusiasm you've got got to have that and I realise now that often people say how comes millions of plumbing companies how comes your one's like sticks out how comes this and how comes that and you know, I think the same old thing. You know, if if you do what everyone else does, then ev- you know, and it was the right way, then everyone'd be a millionaire, wouldn't they? And I thought to myself, so you've got to do different. You know, and, and like if I sit at a table and four people say, "We're going to go for this," I'll I'll drop that out. I'll do the other one. I'll I'll take a chance on the other one because if everyone was was right all the time, they'd all be millionaires. So I go against what I would call the grain of people. You know what I mean? They go
1: apprenticeship from fifteen. Yeah. Um, but after the apprenticeship, did you work for anybody else again? No. How old were you when you started at Pimlico?
2: 27, I think. And that, I was working with Pat Fox then, you know, the Sammy Fox's dad. And yeah. it was quite strange. We were working in the Pimlico area and um, we was working for Pimlico Properties doing some work. And Pat Pat knew the guy quite well. At that time, I think it was changing the big ass into little flats. And we, you know, we, we, was, we was doing very well kind of thing. And, uh, and he was a great money getter, Pat. You know, no two ways about that. And then he said like, that his daughter's was going in to be this page free Sam Fox. And he said, uh, I'm going to take three weeks off and then I'll be back, kind of thing. So I'll carry on a job. Well, Pat never come back and he never picked a saw up again. Do you know what I mean? He obviously see there was lots of money there. So, so he, he went off and, and I'm still in Pimlico. I think they, the guy in, in the estate agents at that time offered me and Pat a room in the basement. Because he knew Pat more than me, so Pat was a bit dubious on it, you know, like I was. So he, he he went off and done this with with his daughter, and then the guy offered it to me. And I'm having sleepless nights. I think why would I, I just couldn't work out why does a plumber need this room? You know, I just couldn't work it out at all. And uh, I thought maybe I store things there. And he started saying, like, you know, you can have a bit of an office. He said, and uh, we'll answer the phones for you. And then uh, then I started smelling a rat. I think well if he's answering the phones, he, he wants to Dosh off you. So um there was answer machines at the time. So I used to put an answer machine in. And I'd just have this one room and I'd go back, this is a machine, get a job off it, like go and do the job, come back. And then all of a sudden, then then the penny dropped and, and my turning point again was employing people. And I say to anybody now, if you wanna be successful, you gotta employ people. You know, because every every everybody like says, Oh, you know, I don't wanna get bigger company, I don't wanna this, don't wanna employ people. And I say to people, it's a double-edged sword. Like the the worst thing in business is employing people, but it's also the best thing. One guy said to me once I was working in his sweet shop, and it was a friend of, a friend of mine. Like, but he was in business, and I went and bought a sweet shop because I'm thinking he's having it right off in his sweet shop. But he had flats above it, and so I was doing work there. And he said, and he said, what you need to do is get more charlies, more people like you. And like the penny dropped again. He said, that's what you need to get. He said, because you can't be in two places. And then, you know, all these things that, that certain pointless things indicated. And then, you know, when I took the office on and I'm thinking, well, I remember him saying, I've got to get people and, and the big fear. And, and I, I took some old biddy on a retired um, school teacher. I thought she can answer the phone and do the letters or, you know, type in and all that. To be honest, I think she was past sell-by date, you know what I mean? Because I quickly learned that, she just weren't keeping up on it or we was getting work was coming in I started taking on people so you know I switched from the tools to being in the office how quickly did you go from that how quickly from starting the company to to you being less on the tools I was still doing emergency work Mm -hmm. up to about four or five years but after about not even a year I think I switched because again I'd learned that you know you've got to have someone in charge you've got to have someone that makes decisions you've got to have someone like telling people what to do when I started employing people then then I've, I've got this old biddy answering the phone and then I thought Look, that ain't gonna work she's just too slow so i got someone else in and I see the difference and then I'm thinking, right, well, if I'm in here and all, I can pick the phones up and start getting the work. And then, you know, so that's it. And then, you know, I remember over in Pimlico, we had 20 people. And you start setting figures of how many people you want to employ. And I'm thinking, well, if I get to 20, that's going to be amazing. It looks like you'll be okay kind of thing. And then when when eventually we sold Pimlico, you know, we was employing about 450 people. And, uh, you know, I realise now I could have had 1,000 people. And, and And I probably should have done because... Once you get over a certain figure of people, the problem is the same kind of thing. In other words, you know, you get a certain amount that are always going to be ill on a Monday and Friday and, you know, and full of shit.
1: So you say it's the, the, the worst thing and the best thing. What's, what's the worst thing about employing people?
2: Well, people themselves, aren't they? You yeah. I mean? They're like,
1: I mean, I know how I feel about it. You know, I,
2: as I say, I'm an employer. You know, I know it brings with it a lot of headaches. Uh, I mean, unbelievable headaches. But, you know, again, you know, being in business so long, I don't say you master it. But we're actually starting a, a, a new company, new plumbing and heating company next year when their three years is up because I sold the other one. Yeah, so you got that uh, non compete for three yeah. years. Yeah, and uh, that happens next September. You know, and we will clean up London because you but, said you said that selling was a big mistake, didn't you? Well, it's a big mistake. Like you look two years down the line, and allegedly they're not doing very well. They're doing terrible actually, and they're even getting worse and worse. And they've come away from the great system we had. What was the system? Because you had a Pimlico Bible. Yeah, well... Tell me well, about the Bible. The system was just a set of rules and then nothing that that clever of that. It's just that people don't, you know, to run a business, you got to say, you have, it's like steering a ship. You know, you've got to have someone in charge and telling people what to do and where to go. And, you know, I worked out if you got a set of rules, then it makes it a lot simpler to follow. But it were not nothing clever, you know, don't wear, no, no earrings, no facial tattoos, no shorts. Got to wear uniform. Got to turn up on time. You know, you couldn't drink and, you, you know, come in where you've been drinking. But a lot of people were so casual in the workplace. I think that was my intent. i tell you what, what made me go that way on it. When I, when I was uh, as a self-employed plumber, you turn up at an house and... and you know, the plumber had a bad name, like, back then in, say, sort of the 70s, 80s. And it was like, oh, the last plumber didn't finish the job. He had a broken arm, broken van. All these million excuses. I thought, I don't want to be like that. So uh, what I've done, I've done a list of things that are bad in the industry, like not turning up, scruffy, scruffy bastard, like his arse hanging out, dirty old van, uh, not finishing the job, not tidying up. Not being transparent. And, and I've just done the opposite. So I've done this list of opposite things. You know, it ain't difficult. Like, plumber never turns up, turns up late. So air deal was, you, we always turn up and you turn up on time. scrub it past the plumber. So ours was smart plumber, smart van. It was just reversing everything. Not everything, but a lot. And then what, what, you, what it then attracts is the people that are prepared to follow that. Yes, they, they're going to follow it because if not, they've gone. But, you know, it can take quite a time to get to train someone to air your way of thinking because they're going, turn up in a clean van. We used like a van, our own valeting service, and it had to be cleaned every week. And we'd have someone going round uh, quality control on the jobs and check the van, check the uniform. And if it weren't right, we would, we would have to get it right. You became uh, quite famous for your mans, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we had all the, um, the number plumbing-related plate. number plates. Um, and again, I have to say it was my idea. I mean, as much as i had a marketing man at the time, he actually thought it was a bad idea. He said, "Well, I, well don't you think that customers are going to think if you can pay that much for a number plate? You're charging too much." I said, "Well, look, you know, you might like you could say that because you turn up in a new van and clean and tidy and uniform, but we're not a cheap. You know, we it was never a cut price outfit. I mean, you know, and that's the difference of why the you know we were probably successful because we we had to charge a certain rate to be able to." to be able to conduct herself in a certain way and anybody that used to work in london and weren't charging the proper rate i used to say to people what not the man they're not making no money you know or they got arseholes turning up a job and you know don't worry we'll get that job anyhow because they are fuck it up you know what i mean i mean you know you got to, you you know to get the right people as you know you've got to pay the right money and uh and from a customer's point of view i learned very quickly that people will always pay for quality you know, so the, the price ain't their main problem. The main problem is: Will you turn up? Are you honest? Will you get the job done? Will you come back if there's a problem? And you know, that's the way we run our business. So, so it was, I mean, when I think about it, it was, we used to do two two and a half thousand jobs a week at the end there, and I think that the figure was something between seventy-five and eighty-five percent of the customer had used us before we turned. Back, now in plumbing, that was never. Done. I used to talk like I used to talk to plumbers years ago, and they'd go, "Oh yeah, I've gone in there, ripped her off, like because you're never going back." And you know, but they they they're that foolish people that, that the best way to run a business is is existing customers, return customer base. And I quickly learned that because my sort of motto to to the company was or to the customers, you know, once you become a Pimlico customer, you become a Pimlico customer for life. And I used to say to the people on the company, the only way. Mrs. Smith and Eaton Square won't use us is if we fuck up. And if we don't fuck up, then we've got her for life. And 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 it worked like that because, I mean, even when I sold the company, I still had some of my customers that, you know, when I first started Pimlico that I used to serve, and they'd tell the plumber, oh, yeah, Charlie used to come in, he fixed fix the toilet, he'd done this and that. I mean, most of them were dead, but, but there were still a few of them that still use you. So we had that sort of... In my mind, like, but it's hard to portray that to anybody. But why would someone stop using? They'll only stop using if you fuck up. Because you
1: need it, right? You know, plumbing is a thing that we all need at some stage. Well, it's there,
2: and and I say people always pay for quality, and and people don't get it. You know, when when I say the plumbers, like, you know, you know, you got to be at a job at eight o'clock, and they say, "Was it that important?" I said, "Of course it's important." If you had half a brain, you get there at ten to eight. If you want to get a tip, get there at ten to eight. And and you know I could, I could teach certain people guaranteed that that you'll be have a satisfied customer you know and like we was very transparent we was like the first plumbing company I think ever to put our prices on the website and, and and we had them on our invoice so you had to follow the price band you know on an hourly rate or you give them an estimate and it had to be within ten percent so by being transparent I mean I used to talk to other plumbing companies go, oh you've got to be stupid he said never tell me how much the material costs never this never that but I learned to be the transparency made it that pe- people want to be well, able to trust
1: I think you. The thing is, there's always a fear of being ripped off, isn't there? As a customer, exactly. as you know, as when a tradesman comes in, I'll always bow down to an expert. You know, if somebody can do something better than I can, I'll pay them for that job. But there is a concern that, much like mechanics and things like that, that they're going to try and rip you off. Exactly. So the, the more reassured you can make somebody feel, the more they're going well, to trust well, that, you. That's
2: exactly what Pimlico done, and I think we was one of the, probably the first to do it because people saying, "Me, mean, you got to be mad putting this and telling them that."
1: Your next company. How's that going to be different from Pimlico? Well,
2: it's going to it's going to be um, more advanced, and it's going to have even better quality people, but less people. So it's going to be a very much a, a premier service that people will pay a decent price for, but you will get the best quality. Do you have a name for it? It's called the We Fix Team.
1: The We Fix Team. Yeah,
2: and and it'll be a premier service, but we won't employ as many people because we we don't want arseholes, basically. And you know we've already started designing the type of van, the van, like electric vans. It's very going to be advanced. And and I've got the same sort of marketing guy that used to work with Pimlico, and he'd been with me 35 years, and he still does work today. And, you know, he's working on it. And the idea is the van will be amazing. I mean, I used to say Pimlico's vans at the time was the most nicest recognisable van on the road. You know, and that was the case. But these ones will be way above that.
1: How many vans at your peak did you have? driving around London?
2: Um, about 250, 260, yeah. Moving billboards, isn't it? Yeah. It's an amazing amount of business people, tradesmen tradesmen don't get the value of a sign written vehicle. I mean, I actually think the law should be that any tradesman working in London should have his company name on the van. People Pimlico's best advertising tool was their van. So we maximised on that, with the number plates, the like uh, sign on the top. Now, the new company will have all this, but advanced, that'd be digital. And, you know, the less you can say on marketing or on advertising sometimes is more. And, um, you know, seeing what I'm seeing, where where we're going, I mean, there won't be a van that can touch it on the road.
1: So you sold in 2021 to a US company called Neighbourly. That's correct, yeah. Do you think they're going to be upset about you starting a new company? (laughs) Do you
2: care? I don't care, but yes, they are upset. They already know. Oh, of course they do. I mean, um, you know, I mean, I've got nothing to hide. with not doing nothing wrong. What are you doing it for? You've got the money. You don't need to. Why yeah. are you doing it? I've got a big family, 10 grandchildren. And, you know, a lot of the grandchildren and so- and my sons and family worked on the company before. So I want to make it very much a, a company business. And my part of it is just my knowledge and involvement. And then it's for them then, you know, and that's their future. You know, I think if I went at it full time, it ain't what I want to be doing full time now, and, and right as you say, I ain't short of a few quid. So you know, it's not about money, but I just see it as another opportunity. And, and as I say, you, you know, when when you when you when you start a business, say from your own van, like thirty five quid van and a bag of tools, then you sell it for hundred and forty eight mil or something at the end. So I've I've sort of seen the story from the bottom end to the top, what you can achieve. I know that anything I pass on my knowledge. And a lot of my family worked me years. Will work. I just know. I mean, it's like yes, it's a lot, lot tougher out there. Okay, yeah, I agree. Of course, it's tougher out there. But people have still got their plumbing, and people will always pay for quality. There's no two ways. It's a bit like you know, Savile Row has got less tailors. You still got people will go in there and still pay six grand for a suit, including me. And you've got someone else to, to go wherever they want to go, kind of thing. And and so you know, there's still a market for for quality and in in. Plumbing. I mean, if you think plumbers are expensive now, just the way it's going with the shortage of tradesmen and the EU, like the not the free movement and and unfortunately, you know, kids are not being trained up. You know, a trades any tradesman now that has got his head screwed on could become a millionaire. That, that's my way. Of it. I'm not going to use that if I could do it. Anyone can do it. But if if you if you're a good tradesman and you know how to run a business, I suppose. But I'm just trying to say it's it's a, it's a golden opportunity to become rich. There's no two ways about that.
1: You're working a lot. So you start Pimlico, as you say, 27. How many kids you got at that point? Four. Four. So you had all your kids before you were 27. Like, What kind of dad were you? Were you present or were you always
2: working? So I was on, on call. When I, <laughs> I was on call. No, look, I have to say that side of it. You know, the, the wife at the time, she, she, you know, was was dealing with the children and, and I'd be working. Yeah, I, I don't, you know, but things have changed then. You know, in other words, I didn't see it so, like like today, Dad's a different kind of thing, you know, they they, they they do this, do that. But no, I'm not going to say I was like a dad that was always at home, but yes, I definitely, you know, provided, you know, we had a great home, great lifestyle, everything we want, you know what I mean? And, and all the family enjoyed that. So the, the two don't quite work. You've got to do one or the other kind of, that's the route I took. and And, and I don't regret that because... Well, I wouldn't be today where I am today if it weren't for that, you know. But but unfortunately, I think when someone becomes successful, something has to go on the way. And and I've noticed this with a lot of people that are at the top light and they've done well and, you know, know, sometimes it's your marriage goes, sometimes it's your health, sometimes you fall out with your family, friends. You could even go bankrupt. But, But to get success... Unfortunately, something has to go. Well, it certainly did with me. I mean, two marriages went.
1: Is it hard to be a good husband when you're working all that?
2: I wouldn't say it, 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 it caused the problem, but it doesn't help, does it? You know, I mean, I look. Everybody's different. You know, you know. Obviously, family would always come first, but you got. To, I think I come from an era where you had to provide for your family, and and that was installed by me from. I say from my mum and dad because we had to provide for ourselves, kind of thing. Yeah, so so it, it's a different timing, but, you know, now I know, how to, you know, we eventually got to run Pimlico where I didn't need to be there, you know, do a bit of PR. So, you know, once you've got, like, the train going kind of thing and it's in the right direction on the right road, you know, you don't necessarily have to be 24 hours a day. And and, and I realise that now, that you know, you can get people in that, that can do a good job. You know, I used to think, like most tradesmen at the time, that, only you was good at that. So when I'm watching the office, I used to be doing the wages, recruiting people, estimating, jobs. I think, well, no one else can do that. And then all of a sudden, you get people in, and you think, oh, you know, he's better than me at it. Like, why is, why is that? Well, he happens to be in a cam, and that's why he's better at the wage. So I learned that there's people out there that you that are better than you at certain things, and I learned another thing in business, you know, like ram rampeg square rolls. Don't do that. I used to take someone on as answering the phones. If there was no good, I'd put them on estimating or... I put them on something else and then I was moving them around and all of a sudden I realised, you, you you know, if if you want someone like wages, get someone that's in a currency. No, don't get the person you've got to do the phone, you know what I mean? And I learned that and, you know, all these saves they come from somewhere and, and like square pegs in round holes is it, the worst thing you're doing. Is that just you trying to be
1: helpful or useful or good to that person by still employing them, do you think? Or Yeah, is it- un-
2: undoubtedly you're, you're, you think that, but you also, you know, you can see... You know, it's hard, uh, that, that early days of, of of Pimlico, it's hard, you know, someone walking in and you knowing what they're good at and what they're not at. And then now, like, even in Pimlico, we, we won't tolerate nothing now, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, if someone comes in first day on the phone and they're behaving wrong, they've gone. You know, once they've been told kind of thing. But, but you know, you already laid down the rules, you know, you coming come in, you've got to wear your uniform, even in the office. Do you still think
1: it was a mistake to sell Pimlico now? Now you've got Wefix coming.
2: It wasn't, it wasn't a mistake to sell it because, you know, it would have meant I've got to spend a lot more time there. And we was growing company. I just feel that because they are allegedly, you know, not improved it. And we was like booming when I sold it, absolutely booming. And we did 50 mil and, you know, we'd have carried on going up. And, you know, I remember years ago, I used to all starved. imagine employing 10 people, then 20, then 500. And now like I think, why didn't I just employ 1,000 people? I mean, I'll ask you a question. You're a businessman. And I think you're going to get the answer. When's the best time to get rid of someone? The second you realise they should go. Exactly. That's spot on.
1: Sitting on it doesn't help.
2: That's right. It never gets better. That's right. Ask nine people out of ten, they would never get that right. And when I say it to them, they look at you, they say... Yeah, but... It's because it feels inhuman, doesn't it? It feels like, you know, to,
1: I mean, the terminology, I don't use get rid, but, you know, I'd, I'd say, you no, know, let somebody go, and, you know, you support them out of it. But well, I think that's the thing is that people feel like, it feels like you're being this capitalistic...
2: Yeah, of course, but, I mean, but,
1: but not everybody is right in that role. They'll find a role they're right for.
2: Uh, look, you are right there. I mean, look, look, I, I wouldn't say I was ruthless, but was quite blunt at the time with somebody. You know, I, I used to sometimes walk in the office and I'd see some clown picking the phone up and I'd say... They gotta go. And that's just on an appearance. And I, I say to recruitment, look, what you look at the person, have a look at them like like they're a mess, they're this, that, and the other. And I'm not saying they made their mistakes. They sometimes with an engineer, I'd see him come in the office the first time and uh like he's a about, like paying in and like all over the place. And I say to somebody, hey, who's he? Go, boom. So I say, How long's he been with us? Uh, a week. I said he's gotta go. He ain't right. You know, so I'm not saying I can see, I'm not saying I can tell someone's right, but I can tell if they're wrong. You know what I mean? Just by their body language and the way they are and the questions and things. And uh, your business is all about the people you employ. The better the people, the better your company. But I don't think you necessarily have to be ruthless. I mean, you know, I take one look at someone and You know, but in the past when we were smaller, we'd give them a chance. You think, well, he's got kids and he's doing this, doing that. You know, but at the end of the day, if you want a successful business, you've got to be you've got to be honest. And um, you know, nobody likes getting rid of people or sacking them or whatever. Well, they say hire slow, fire fast, don't they? Yeah. Well, look, you you know, once you've done it, as I say, the the worst thing in business is employing people. It's also the best thing because when you get the right people. You know, then that you're on your way to success, kind of. So,
1: if you're doing WeFix next year, does that mean you're not going for the mayoral election? Because I know you've obviously been talking about that for years now. So, yeah. Well,
2: look, evidently, I've just been barred on Twitter at the moment. Yeah, we yeah making some allegations about.
1: yeah, Yeah, let's let's talk about that. Do you think that means then that the mayoral election and you even going for London mayor is off the table?
2: I wouldn't say it's off the table. My people have said to me, you know, the, you know that hasn't gone down well, you know, what, what you said about current what, mayor. What did you say? Um, what did I say? I said it's time to dump the Muslim mayor. Yeah. Now, I, I didn't regard that as, as racist. So it's like I tried to say it's time to dump if he, was, if he was...
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing.
1: Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20,
0: 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 upfront for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place.
1: Sorry? Would you have said that? Would you have said it's time to dump the Irish mayor?
2: Yeah, or, or like if he, if, he, if he was like, you know, for, well, he, he, you know if he, wherever he was from, I would have said that. It was not meant as a Muslim thing. I, I mean, he's a Muslim, and I just said it's time to dump the Muslim mayor. And then. Do you regret saying it? Not that, no, because I don't think they got rid of me because of that. And then somebody put less OPA in the RAN next year, and I said, I'd imagine someone, would, or I don't know use a word, I said probably someone would have killed him by then.
1: I think you said someone should kill him. Should kill him. Yeah.
2: Like, whatever I said then. I mean. How do
1: you feel? Like, do you regret doing that? Yes, very much. Yeah. So. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, we've, we've sent an apology into Twitter. We sent an apology to uh, the mayor's office, and um, well, I, I, I know noise. he. I know
1: he publicly spoke, didn't he, about it? Yeah. Did he saying that it wasn't on? Saying that you know any any threats against his life, uh, yeah, look, you know, look, his look, family look, uh, right, to, to be taken fight seriously.
2: Fight, I, I shouldn't have said it. You're right. And um, but if I'm being honest, at the time, you know, I was in hospital. And uh, yeah, and in Spain and, you know, I was on a lot of different tablets and, you know, and, and they're now responding saying what tablets of medicine he was on. And I think that if my mind was clear, I wouldn't have said that. You know, I wouldn't have said it. I mean, undoubtedly not because, you know, I've had threats of people going to kill me and, it, and it's quite frightening. So uh, that, was, that was undoubtedly a mistake. So you don't
1: feel like the Muslim thing was a, was a racist thing? Like if if somebody sa- t- says to you, I think that was racist. Like, do, do you accept that it was, or do you think it wasn't?
2: Well, look, look different people. You know, we, you, you know, I think I'm used to speaking my mind, and and, and I didn't feel, you know, it, it was. I didn't feel it was racist, but I could understand how people see it. You with me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm
1: trying to understand it.
2: Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. And, and and but but all I'm saying the fact is, yes, I, I've said I made a mistake the way I worded it. You know, I mean, I should have put, you know, there's times I dumped the arsehole or something. <laughs> You know, but it would have got a better reception. Maybe. Yeah, but but yeah, no, that, that was a mistake, but... I'm glad, cheers for talking about it, because I
1: think a lot of the time now, people are so polarised and they won't speak, you yeah. know, they, they won't sit across a table and have a conversation. What they want to do is just say, he's this cheese that, swear that.
2: You know, I mean, I'm quite but I mean, I'm known as controversial. Do you think you're controversial? Do you try to be controversial? I don't try. I mean, I'm just being honest, direct, blunt, rude, call it what you want. I mean, it do not really matter what word it is, but I'm a successful businessman. Mm -hmm. You know, whichever, whatever you want to call me on the other things, you know, uh, I'm a successful businessman. Not like I'm talking shit, like, you know, but if people go, Oh, you're rude. You're blunt. You're too direct. You're this, that, and the other. Yeah, that, that's just call me what you want. It makes no difference to me. I mean, name name's never gonna be a big deal, was not it? And I think that was my attitude with the Muslim mayor kind of thing. But looking back on it, yeah, it was a mistake. It was a mistake. And but you know, it's not it's not a hanging offence. You know what I mean? I mean,
1: with you being banned from Twitter, you know, with all that said, do you think then you're not gonna? Do you think that there's something you don't want to do? Or?
2: or, like you know, the the the. Um, the team that I was going to have around me have said, you know, that, that you know, it may
1: not be feasible to happen there. So I, I looked, so I looked at the racial build up of London now, and I bet it's changed an awful lot in, you know, in the decades um, since you lived in Camden. Yeah. Um, it is 20% British Asian. So yeah. I guess that's a sizable p- potential you know, percentage of people that would vote. I think it was, it's 56% white and 30-something percent white British. So it's ch- clearly changed. And yeah, it's clearly lot.
2: changed. But but if I was running for it, I would win. Of course I would. You, you I, what, sorry? If I was running for me, I would win. You Definite. Oh, and no no two ways about that. Yeah, because, you know, I know what Londoners want. I mean, I you know, lived in London all my life, worked in London all my life, spent my money in London all my life, spent my time in London, you know, a proper sort of understand London and... Irrespective of a, a throwaway comment, I mean, you know, the, the people needing London, you know, obviously with all these charges that he's doing and robbing people and these silly bike lanes, you know I mean? They'd be gone straight away and get London moving again. So from a business point of view, London would be booming again because London's come to a standstill from, from the road point of view and uh, you need to get London moving again. And, and I believe I could do that. You know, it's all about the... Uh, emission charge and all that, its are causing more of a problem now because of the traffic build-up and the amount of businesses that are going out and amount of people won't come into London. I mean, he's absolutely destroyed London, this guy. For, and also, I would work on the apprenticeship thing. I would have free public transport for all apprentices to encourage them into an apprenticeship. And, and I would also be, even though I wouldn't have control of that, putting forward to the government that, which I have done already, that we need to have a, a government-funded apprenticeship scheme. So when youngsters leave school, they've got to have a job, university, or they go straight into a government-funded apprenticeship you scheme. You've
1: had 1,500 apprentices through Pimlico Over the
2: years, yeah. Best thing ever. And, and, of course, the new company not taking them on and they're getting rid of them left, right and centre. And I'm thinking to myself, you've got to be mad, you know what I mean? Because you train them, you use them, and they stay with you. Um, it's just a winner, you know what I mean? It's just it's just a winner. Like, And, and I'm... I hear things about the other company and some of the apprentices that I took on and people say, oh no, they, they got rid of me and they, they don't believe in the apprentice. I'm thinking, you know, Americans have a different way of of doing things. Allegedly, what I hear, and according to their accounts in the paper, they've dropped 11%, um, they can't be doing it right. And I know like lots of engineers that have gone from there and office staff that have been with me 20, 25, 30 years, all the top layer have gone, and you know they've already been onto our company saying we can't wait for you to open up. It, you know, it, it won't be my company, so that, you know that, I want to leave my options open for the mayor thing because you know if if I can run for it, then I, I, I believe his time's up. You know, I so say time to dump the mayor, but without the Muslim bit.
1: And that's May twenty twenty four, isn't it? When the election is? Yeah. yeah. What would you say though to that twenty percent, that fifth of Londoners that are British Asian that might, if they heard the, the Muslim mayor thing, you know, because, of, of course, not, not everybody's going to have. Like, how do you convince them that, to vote for you w- with that having been said?
2: Um, well, I think we're making more of the Muslim thing, you know what I mean, if I'm being honest. I mean, it's not like, it wasn't meant like that. I mean, if, if you know, if I see a Muslim playing, I mean, what do I call him? You know, he's a Muslim, isn't he? There's nothing wrong with, with saying you're a Muslim, is there? I mean, you know, I have a Muslim girlfriend. If I'm being honest, I think the the mayor's office have jumped on it and see it as a knocker. And, you know, I fought bigger battles than that. I don't see it as a big deal. I mean, you know, I'm an honest guy in that and, and you know, I know that if you got London moving and you stop ripping off Londoners, whether it don't matter whether they're Muslim or whether they're wherever they come from, then they're gonna wanna vote for you. If you you know, if you give someone something if you're helping somebody, they're gonna vote for you. And I, I don't feel that a current mayor is helping anybody other than himself and and, and like the mayor's office kind of thing. It's just ripping people off, you know. And that's one thing I would not do is rip people off. I mean, you've got to incentivise people.
1: On which note, so obviously you against you Les, shall we say? Against what? Uh, against you Les? Again, oh, you know, you. Are you still paying for NHS worker fines? Is that still?
2: Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Well, I said that, you do know, you do still... many come across your desk? I don't know. My PA deals with it. You know, right. I mean, I, I don't, you know, get involved. But what I said, I think that you know, ripping off sort of. Uh, nurses and all that, that that need to go in. It's just the wrong way to bat. I mean, you know, you got to remember that the current mayor is. There's a lot of people that he's upset. I, I believe that you need someone with a business brain, and someone that is proper understands London. You know, let's be fair. You could arguably say he's catering more for, you know, his type of people kind of thing. And you know, London's still got plenty of London people in it. But in the same token, you know, it don't matter where you come from if you can't. Move around London, it ain't what you want, or you can't get to work, or you can't um, get a job, you know, because businesses are going out, out of business. I mean, because of the way you stopped London. So, I think I've got something to offer them, I mean, and that's just, you know, that's just one minor bit, you know. But, um, you know, I, I said to you about school leavers should undoubtedly go into a government-funded apprenticeship scheme, and I spoke to two or three prime ministers over the years over it, and. Um, you know, they always keep making excuses. Oh, it's not that simple, Charlie. Really? Not that simple. And, and I remember Boris, when he was running for London Mayor, and, and he came round our, our office and said, you know, how can we cut down crime on the street? And I'm looking at Boris and thinking, are you that fit, like? You know what I mean? I said, all you've got to do is get him a job. Who? Oh, oh, Who? What do you mean? I'm a better bad that, you know? <laughs> and uh, I said, look, when when whenever a youngster gets in trouble, he normally says... I don't have a job, I've got no future, i got nothing to do. And I said, you know, you don't really find people, you know, that are in a job going around stabbing people kind of thing, you know, you, know, you know. So if you give them a job, give them a, a future incentive, I said, crime on the street would cut down, rehabilitation, you know, prisons, all this would cut down because government said to me, it would be quite an expensive scheme to run. And I said, you'll be like, if you want to make money, there's a way to make money. And because savings elsewhere. Rather than giving someone benefit money, like to sit at home and watch Jeremy Carl at the time or some other thing, give them like a job allowance. I said, so, you know, that money would go to the employer who would then who would then put the same amount. And so all of a sudden that apprentice is getting double the money that because apprentices, you're not paid enough. There
1: was the kickstart scheme. I don't know if you saw that. The kickstart scheme of, um, post-COVID just to try and get more people into the workplace. Um, it was a great, you know, I really championed it. It was a way to, effectively, it was that, but... Then for some reason, I think it might be cut short now. It's you know, it's, it's like they, they go halfway to doing something good. Because yeah. I, I remember when that came out, I was like, "Hang on, I can get talent. I can you know, I can I can find people to bring into my company, and you're going to support me with their salary. Of course, I'm going to bring more people in. So right. Exactly, exactly. exactly I mean, look, yeah.
2: you ain't got to be that clever to work it out. But unfortunately, you know, I think Cameron and Osman had it right because he was nearly building up to getting three million apprentices on a year. In, in work and but then when when it when they went, it sort of they just dropped the idea because again you've got to remember the these prime ministers have gone to university, so they think that's the way forward, but you know you know it's not one one fit for everybody kind of thing, but you know today to as we talk today, the way to move forward in the economy and with you fund employment and crime on the streets and a million other things and shortage of tradesmen is to have a government-funded apprenticeship. And, and you know, I'll become mayor. I would have it in London for sure. You know, just to get youngsters a job. And, and and that's a vote winner. I mean, I'm not doing it just because it's a vote winner. I'm doing it because I can see a big future in it. And, and you've got to remember that them youngsters would vote for you, plus their parents would vote for you. And then someone else said to me, but if you, I think it was... Vanessa Phelps was doing a a TV interview about it and and she said, so you do away with a bicycle lane? She said, well, that's not a vote winner. I said, you're right, it's not a vote winner. I said, but I'm, I'm not doing it to win votes. I'm doing it because it's it's messing London up you know it's a knock-on effect that you know as I said they're not used 22 hours a day now if that's right then and all this emission nonsense is nonsense you know what I mean and that's what Khan plays on whether you encourage people like such as sort of NHS staff and that and have the free passes for 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 the um London transport service and and you know things have got to be improved but but the you know the 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 biggest thing that I see at the moment is that London traffic is just a nightmare, and so you've got less people want to open up. and And when when I was talking to some people, and they go, I said so many businesses closed over, and they're going to me, oh well, not what I'm aware. Of. And I think, well, you want to go round the streets and see, you know, the cafe you used to go into or. Or, or or a little factory that used to be there. And when I speak to people like that, they go, it's just like it's, we can't deliver no more. We The charges are too much. And, you know, I mean, you know, undoubtedly you've got to have a transport system. You've got to be able to get around London and get London moving again. And you've got to get people into work. The, and, and the two go hand in hand. In other words, you know, if you get people into work, then businesses will start opening up and and, and employing people. And then... The savings from so many other things. But, you know, and then, of course, work ethics ain't that good today. You've got all this work from home nonsense, people. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, my, my take on that, unfortunately, is that if you want to lose your job, then work from home. Because, you know, why would you start a business and let somebody like, you know, sitting there in their pyjamas and kidding you up that, you know, I've done this today and done that. And then, you know. I mean,
1: I, I've got my own thoughts on it in that I know what's best for us, my company, and it is to be together. Uh, You know, and and that's all I can say is I can, you know, I mean, I was one of the first companies in the country to take the company four days a week for five days pay. Because for me in PR, that worked. Friday was a quieter day. You know, I was able to, of course, this was pre-COVID. This was 2017, 2018. And it it worked for us. And I said, I'll do it until it doesn't work for us. And we remain profitable. It was all financially motivated. You know, because, of course, then people are talking about you. And people, you know, and, and, you know,
2: and you get clients and, you know, all all of those things. Again, I'm a PR man. Well, what I'm trying to say is an unfair system. You know, it's an unfair system. Certain people can work from home, certain people can't. On an unfair basis, the, the fact that, you know, I think it's wrong, but I also feel that, you know, productivity overall will be down. I'm, I'm not, you know, when I, I've never met anyone yet who's working from home and says they're not being more productive. And I say to people... What do you think they're gonna say then that, you know, I'm sitting out in the garden, I'm at the seaside, I'm in the pub. What do you think they're gonna say? Who's they gonna tell you they're more productive? But I'm sure ten percent of, of London the population went from home. It's probably more productive. But overall I don't feel it's the way forward and um and, and I feel that you know, if, if if people are working from home, if you want to lose your job, then work from home. That's my take.
1: I think it's a really privileged position to be in, to be able to work from home. Of course it is. You know, it's horses for courses. Right. It's not Look, for everybody.
2: You're right. It's a subject you can disagree with people all day long, but, but, you know, I don't believe long-term it's the right move for the economy or the individual. I really don't. And, you know, people say that's because, you know, your plumber's couldn't work from home and you your office staff, you know, the call centre you could have. And I said, but, you know, I don't want, like customer's personal information being in some house in orbit, and then, you know it, it, to me it's not the way to run a business people go to me you're old-fashioned you're you're a dinosaur and all that nonsense so, yeah I'm also a successful businessman that started with nothing and sold for 147 mil or something. You mentioned that you were in hospital in Spain Are you feeling better now? Well now I'm out out of there yeah you know I caught a, a bad infection in my arm and, and you know I was on that many drugs and um Tablets in there that you know I definitely was wasn't in the right frame of mind and and as I say you know it, I can see how, how someone would be offended by it but but again I think you know I'm very sort of blunt and straightforward and maybe sometimes I need to think a bit more before you know because you know I think the upbringing I've come from you know you wasn't scared to say something to somebody and 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 I, and I think things have changed so like all this woke business you know I mean we used to have a system at Pimlico that someone would come in and, and their reception is full of like uh, all about Pimlico, um, the press and celebrities and whatever and the camera would be there quite in the open and, and, you know, I might glance it down there and I'd look and I'd tell you if that person's right or wrong because if they want to sit in the chair and they're on their phone mm-hmm. and they ain't checking out the company, then are they what you want? And, you know, a question I used to say to people often if I was interviewing like years ago is, you know, what do you know about Pimlico? And they go, I don't really know, but you know, my mate said this and I think, like, fucking hell, like you know, then you get someone else come in and they go, Oh yeah, well I see you done this and I've seen you done that and you do this, and you think, Wow, you know what I mean? So just little little the matters. When somebody comes in they know about your company, it
1: matters exactly. it, it completely changes the way I you mean, I mean I used to have them.
2: youngsters come for a job and say, Okay, you wanna be a parent, why? Well my mum says it's a good job. But what do you wanna do? Yeah. I go, uh, well I don't want to do nothing. Oh, okay. You know, what <laughs> what <laughs> you're mean? not getting the job, yeah. you know you know yeah, what I yeah. mean? So you know, and, and and I don't feel there's nothing wrong with um, being blunt and direct. And, and I think maybe I was at one time too much because I had a geezer come in once and um, and come twice for a job. And he had like a railway line down his face, you know, like a scar, right. you know, top to bottom. You know, I weren't feeling comfortable with him. And, uh, and and I'm trying to imagine I'm a customer. You know, I said, look, I've got to be honest with you. I said, you know, this down in your face, I said, I don't feel customers are going to be comfortable with you. And he said, um, "Yeah, well, look, look. Funny enough, he said the dab, and that wasn't my fault, kind of thing, you know." And I said, "Well, you know, let's let's not go down that road because it ain't what we're here." I said, "But I can't employ you, you know." I felt intimidated, and and I edged the way I said it, you know what I mean? I'd already got to where I'm coming out with it, you know. Anyhow, and 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 he came back years later, and I said to people again, "Just don't interview him. He's not gonna not gonna work with a customer, you know." And, and funny enough, when we checked out his reference. It was a fucking nightmare. They said he nicked the band, he's fighting, and all this. Not you know, I'm. I'm not saying you could tell that, but you know, it's like if you get someone in, and they're not comfortable. Sometimes you them. get that intuition as well. But don't yeah. You? yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've definitely
1: had that where somebody's perfectly nice in an interview, but you think, you know, I just don't see it being quite right
2: here. Yeah, that's right. And and I used to say to people like like who interviewed them, you know, I'd, I'd need one minute to walk in the room, and then I'd say. The way what he said to me, I didn't say or didn't know who I was or weren't interested. I mean, I used to do that. anyway, I was going. There's someone was interviewing somebody, like, and, and I was trying to, you know, come away from the interviewing, and I said, and and he's, he's had. An hour with him or something, and he said, I can't tell if he's I can't tell if he's right or wrong. I said, I'll tell you within one minute. I went out there, picked the phone up, I looked at him, he's got all nicotine all over his hands, got a leather coat on that didn't look right. I said to him, What you logo? He said, Yeah, he said, we run the pub up so and so like, oh fucking hell, you know what I mean? You know, I said, but I said I could smell and I was quite close to him, I could smell the booze on him. I said, they're all things that when you're interviewing someone, you you if you feel you need to, I'm looking at him, I'm thinking, imagine him turning up at your house like it just wouldn't be right you're letting somebody come into
1: your house that's quite a there's a lot of trust already needed right so i understand so you just said then about obviously appearance matters massively you've always said that you said you know about the you know the outfits things like that obviously with thinking about creating or starting the business next year
2: do you like to stay young mentally do you like you know how, how do you stay young well, I'm busy anyhow. I mean, um, you know, the fact that, that uh, I've just come back from Spain for three months and I love travelling and enjoying life and, and getting on with life. I'm just a busy person anyhow. Do you, you think know? staying busy keeps you young? Oh, undoubtedly. I mean, um, you know, yeah. I mean, look, I, I, I've got friends the same age as me and, and they can't get out of the armchair. You know, I'm saying some things like, are we going to go a party or something? Or, you know, celebration or go, oh, you know, I don't know I could make it. I don't know I could stay out after 12. But it doesn't make me right, you know what I mean? I'm just saying, it's, you, you know, that, that, that's the way I would do it. And, and I said that about it in the interview, you know, you often get people turn up late and they go and they make a million excuses. And you if they would have just said, look, to be perfectly honest, you know, I got up late, I misjudged, I, I'd respect her more, but they come up with, uh, oh, you never guess what happened. Some old granny, like, you know, yeah, looked like line. she was going to collapse on the tube and I, you know, oh, fuck off, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, they, they've always been, they, you know, you can tell like the Monday and Friday illness, like people, when, you know, they know they're going to be ill on Friday and they start hinting on a Wednesday, you know, you know what, I ain't feeling so good. I'll say, oh, so you're off Friday then? No, no, I never said that. No, you will be. And Friday comes around and go, God, did I come down with it? Well, that's a shock, isn't it? You know what I mean? And then and then the ones in the week, they eat on the Monday, they go, uh, yeah, I've got a lot happening next week, you know what I mean? Not looking forward to this. The wife's this, that, and the other. I said, so you're not in Monday then? No, of course I will be. Oh, he will be. Uh, but then, then t- he's already told someone else's story. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and then it gets around. And then, you know, rather than just say, "Look, I'm not going to be here Monday," you know, rather than lie about it, it, just, just, I think, I think the best way to be in business is honest and straight. But unfortunately, it does upset a lot of people. You know, it's like, you know. Many times we've we've had to tell people at work, well, you know, you need to be a bit more better with the hygiene, like the BO thing. And and you know, that's the I bet way that I... happens
1: probably quite a lot, doesn't it? Like it's a manual job, you know, you're uh, busy, you're, you're up and down stairs. Well, yeah look, yeah, look yeah, yeah.
2: The, the type of business we was running clean and tidy and you've got to you've gotta be that. But the great thing by having an HR department, they seem to do it in a better way. You know, where, you know, I remember telling some honestly who's worked for the, what do they call the post office, doing their phones in, in the in their smaller building once and uh and the place stunk a B.O. And all the staff were complaining. And I'd been out and i come back in. And it absolutely, they had windows. This guy just, and, and, and he was panicking because he had put, whatever he was fitting, he put a, an hole in the pipe. So there's water coming out of a pipe in there. He's panicking, sweating. They're all like going around with sprays. Over the that was there, And I just said, you've got to go, mate. I said, you stink a B.O. But I didn't mean to be so, you know, but in other words, somebody had to tell him. And and I just walked back in and I was, I was saying to them, just tell the geezer to go. They said I can't. I said, mate, you've got to go. I so said, you just think I'll be old? But uh, you know, now I get the HR to do it. The HR would say, look, you have an hygienic problem, and you know, yeah, they're sitting it in just, a much nicer you know, way. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they're doing yeah. it in a different way. And you know, look, I said, I'm not saying I'm right, but that that was in them days. And you know, when when HR rung me up and or someone said about this guy and all that, he's he's like been on the computer, like you know, look checking out all this and all that. I was like, just just get rid of it. Got to go. I mean, that was their policy. You don't use it for private use. And we tell people that the computer systems are regularly checked. And we'd supply computers in like a little lunch area that they can get on. You know, we got rid of a few people. like, And it's quite a good way of getting rid of them. And, and they think they're outwitting you kind of thing. They're clueless. You know what I mean? Absolutely clueless. I mean, say we've got someone we think ain't right. Let's just say the computer man, check out what they've been up to, if they've been up to it. And if they have the odd you know, thing don't matter, but if they've overdone it, you just, boom, it's simple, simple you know what I mean? But, but most people like guidelines and rules. You know, most people would say to you, oh, I'd rather wear a uniform and, you know, I'd rather have a clean van. But you've got, you know, these other people that go, I remember some guy came in once and before we made the Pimlico Bible, we had, like, signs up in this little reception area saying, you know, no pony no earrings, no facial tattoos, can't wear shorts, can't wear trainers, got to wear the uniform, and some geezer came in. He come for an interview, and he said, um, "Oh, he, he was waiting like, and so reading all the signs." I went out there, and he said, uh, oh, I, "I don't want to work here." He says, "Like the army." I said, "You're right. You don't want to work here, you know." And 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 you don't want them type of people. I mean, the signs frightened him. You know what I mean? And I'm thinking, That probably uh, works out best for
1: both of you, doesn't? it? He'll go and find somewhere where he does want to work, and you don't. Well, you know, well, I mean, what I mean is, you, is yeah.
2: we're the winner because like, he, he can't work for us. And, and uh, he said, "It's like the army." He said, "I don't want to work. I won't work for you." Like you're right, you will not work for us, you know what I mean? You, you know, that's what I'm saying. So when people, you've got a set of rules and they're not, you know, when we talk about it like this, it sounds like, you, you, you know, you're sort of like, like a dinosaur and old-fashioned that, but the service that we was providing at the time and the service we were going to provide, people want to feel comfortable with that person. So, you know, if that means the right uniform and the right look about someone, then, as you, as you know, going in someone's house is a very personal very thing. Very personal and um, you know, I mean, I've had people that come here, and I'm not comfortable with them. And you know, I say to to each other, like just let them to go. You know what I mean? You know, if they they come in with a silly comment or something like that, you know what I mean? And people need to learn to respect people's property, irrespective of the value of it. Mm. You know, and, and uh, unfortunately, a lot a lot of tradesmen just haven't got that about
1: them. You got your OBE in 2015. Yes,
2: 2015. Yeah, proud, it was... proud moment. Oh, this one of the best achievements I've done in, in my life, you know, undoubtedly on that. I mean, from a business point of view, that's probably the most amazing thing because you, you can't buy them. I mean, people people people, well, people say to me that, oh, you must have bought and all that shit. Well, if I could have bought one, I would have bought a night, wouldn't I? You know what I mean? It's fairly obvious. But the fact to get recognised for business and and for the plumbing industry, yeah. and it weren't for charity, even though I'm very charitable, it weren't about charity, it was about plumbing businesses, apprentices, and that type of thing. And and I believe that I'm, I, at the time, was the only person that's ever had one for plumbing. No, proud, unbelievable, proud moment. Unbelievable. I mean. Do you, you, do you think you'll get a knighthood in your lifetime? Mm, <laughs> no, because I'm too outspoken. Evidently, the Conservatives said I'm a loose cannon. Right. You know, I mean, it's like. Who said that? The Conservatives. Are, whichever it come from, the message just yeah. came back because, to, cause, you know, I was going to run for Mayor London, Mayor's Independent, and I said somewhere that if Conservatives had half a brain, they would have me as their candidate, you know, and I would work well with them. And someone come back with, they they figure a bit of a loose cannon. And, and they're right, you know what I mean? I mean, I, I, I you know, but... Would you like a knighthood? Oh, uh, who won? Who, how much are
1: they? I think there's only been a couple of people that have been publicly, you know, that have publicly said, "I don't want one," haven't there? So yeah, yeah well, I right.
2: look, look, say, so, you know, look, I, I I love all that side of it. Anyway, you know what I mean? I love, yeah, quite I love patriotic. Yeah, and um, the OBE was just unexpected, and amazing. I actually thought it was a wind up. <laughs> you know I, how so? Well, my my daughter, I, I'd sort of. Um, I'd been just going through a divorce, so mm-hmm. any mail was going to the house, and and my daughter and family mm-hmm. and that, and was having some, you know something, saying. And uh, so a couple of letters come for you. And this letter looked official, and I said, oh, I'll open it later, like. I said, uh, it's normally, you know, anyone sends me letters to tax you know I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. That's, that's, you know, and this had something on the government or something, and I said, it'd just be about, ta- they want money, that's all, you know, nobody writes to me unless they want money. And <laughs> she said, well, it might not be. So it sounds to me that someone might have had a nose with it, you know what I mean? No, no, no. I said, look, it's going to upset me now, like, let have dinner, like, you know, with loads of kids, grandkids were there and all that. And uh, she said, but you don't know. So I get a feeling that someone, you know, it's what I was saying. And then I opened it and said, look, you've been put up for this op. <laughs> I was saying to her, you're fucking about and you know? You know, Lucy. She said, what? I went, this will wind up, isn't it? You know, I said, like, you are. She said, we're not. I said, you've got to be winding me up. She she said we weren't, but I was still convinced, you know what I mean? And then, I don't know, you know, you sort of check it. I don't know what happens, you get checked out or something like that. And, and you know, I, but initially I thought it was tax, and then I thought it was a wind-up. You know, the things that stick out, you, you know, was when we when we turned over our first million. You know, I'm a great believer in the charity and, and putting back into things. And as a company or an individual, we, we do a I mean, the general talk you brought up on the basis of you shouldn't talk about what you give away. Well, that's complete bollocks. Because if you don't talk about it... I know I'm know, i not saying... If you ask me about charity, I talk about it. But if you don't talk about it, then other people don't know. And we all learn from somebody. I could proudly say in 14 months, I've given 1.1 million or something away, over a million pounds. I'm so proud of that. So proud of it. And all this bollocks about... You don't do this, you don't do that. People can judge you how they want to judge her, but you know, nobody can take that away from me. And the amount of people it's helped kind of thing. I had a phone call yesterday and We we just just done something with shooting star hospice. And, you know, we do it every year. She was over the moon again still, you know what I mean? But but I think the point I'm trying to get at here is that, you know, I, I don't feel there's anything wrong with with saying it. I'm you know, I'm not gonna go around shouting it, but I'm so proud that, you know that, You're in a position to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and it's money that's been, you know, it's like, you know, I remember of somebody taught me that, you know, never be ashamed of what, how much you earn and, and how much you turn over because you work for it. And and I think it's the same with the charity, you know. You know I'm a great believer that what goes around comes around. And and I think that there's, there's, there's certain things people can, can not take away from me. You know, whatever they want to think of me, I'm a very charitable guy. And why? got a good name in that. What do you say, why? Why? Yeah, Why
1: why are you charitable?
2: Because I think that, you know, if you've got an opportunity to help someone that, that needs help and you're in a position about how to do it, then I just feel, I think it makes you feel good, first of all. And I think the second thing is, um, you know, coming from the upbringing I've come from, you know, when I've seen many people that need help kind of thing, you know, you can't help everybody. And and I, and I just think it makes you feel a better person. But, you know, I like the idea that someone's going to benefit from it, you know what I mean? And um, you know the new company we're, we're going to be supporting uh, for shooting star auspice, and we're going to donate a pound every job to them. And so we're going to have their logo in that on on the, all our vans. It, it will help a lot of people, you know. And, and I think that from a from a business point of view, it's a two way street. And anybody with half a brain, I think, if you look at, you can see this company is doing something for you know, especially if you're a family person. I think I think it, it puts you in a different light kind of thing because I know. Many wealthy people, I've been to charity women, they don't spend two bob. Mm. And I think, you know, you're know, fucking hell, like, you know, when you, you're like loaded and you're not even like, you know, they don't even buy a drink, you know what I mean? <laughs> and I'd be, I'd be embarrassed if, if, um, if I hadn't done it because everybody thinks plumbers are greedy, you know what I mean? Everybody yeah, thinks you're going to rip them off and everything like that.
1: Did you ever want to be well known? Like, I, I was going to say famous, but like you know, do you feel famous? Do you feel? No, I don't
2: feel famous. I don't feel celebrity, but people say that. But there ain't nowhere you can't go without, you know, airport. Don't matter. Don't matter where you are. You're the plumber guy. You know, coming back from Spain, you're the plumber. Was that a purposeful guy. thing?
1: Because you started PR, marketing, branding, all those things. You know, it's, it's you know, it's important, right? Yeah, very
2: important. I mean, look, you ain't going to be successful unless uh, you you do good. Uh, Marketing. Now, look, uh, again, somebody learned me, um, you can be the best plumbing company in the world, but if nobody don't know about it, they yeah, it don't matter. So, and the word's called recognition. Recognition. And if you get recognition for the right reason, then you're on a winner. PR is priceless. PR is so important in the business, you know what I mean? So the question you said to me, did I want to be well-known? I, th- I don't think I set out to be like that, but then all of a sudden, you know, you do get known, you yeah. do get and you think, you know, I mean, now if I go somewhere, someone don't recognise me. I'm thinking, I think if you
1: shaved your head, you'd yeah. get the same thing. No,
2: no. no. I mean, funny, I would see a geezer come up to me the other day. I mean, wherever you go, whatever country you're in, someone will come up to you. And, and like that in Spain, it's like non-stop. You know, people's coming out, and, and I, I said, you know, sometimes they, they, they do think you like Rod Stewart. But most of the time they come up and go, oh, you're the plumber guy. Can I have a picture?
1: You get Rod Stewart a lot, do you? Yeah. Do you? Yeah. I guess similar hair, isn't it?
2: Yeah, of course. I mean, there ain't nothing wrong with that. I mean, I say I don't... as a word of point. I'm not trying to gimmick Rod Stewart. He's probably living off me. Um, <laughs> but I think the, you know, you've got to be different kind of thing. Yes. And I'm saying the more I do my air up, the more attention you get. That, that's nice, but you've also got pests. you. I mean, you've got the fucking pests come up to you. they go, yeah, you said this, you said that. I don't like this, I don't like that. You know, so you've got to accept that. But, but 99% of people... Uh, are pleased to meet you and they say you're a great inspiration, And I get em- embarrassed about it, really, because I'm saying about this new girl. We've gone out and, and I got introduced to her by an like, English guy and I have Sean and um it was like demolition, you know, say so normal guy but doing well. And uh she's saying when a few people are coming up, you know they do when we're out. And uh she's going, Who are you? Who are you? I'm oh, nobody. Yeah, and yeah, so uh The question is, do you like getting recognised, I'd say, for the right reason? Yeah. Yeah. But recognition, the word recognition alone, I'm not telling you guys anything because you're in PR and you you know your stuff, but the word is recognition. If you get recognised for the right reason, then you've cracked it. You know what I mean? Years ago, you wouldn't use anybody that didn't have a proper business address. Mm -hmm. You know, they'd say, oh, look, I work from a garage. You think, fuck, what new you kind of thing. You know what I mean? You you wanted a proper address and, and... you know, and I still feel that's the way forward when, when like I said about tradesmen in London, how they allow tradesmen in London to go without a sign written van on, I ain't got. And how someone who is a tradesman drives around London without their name on it, I, I just look at them and I think, are you for real? You, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think my work ethics or ideas are are wrong. You know, I'm not saying it suits everyone. I say different businesses.
1: And I think that's the key thing is, and I've always said, you know, when I did the four-day thing, I guess, because I'm younger as well. They're you know, like, you know, do what basically want me to be this Pied Piper of the four day work week. And I said, I'm not going to do that for anybody but my own company. Yeah. The second that this is unprofitable or this doesn't work, I don't do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it that's works. it. And that's, I think that's all you could ever do is just speak for yourself. Exactly
2: it. You know, and, I'm, and, you know, and I'm, I think people are brave enough to say it's working for them. And, but there's not many people brave enough to, I know loads of people that they've they, they, they got their stuff work from, I mean, you've got the tail wagging the dog mm. and they ain't got the bollocks to tell them that you know, come in. This it's been a
1: difficult time. It's also been a difficult time from an employment spe- perspective. I guess you sold in 2021, so you've not seen the tale of COVID in, in the same way where employees do, like for, for a period of time, certainly, they, they, they have the power in that relationship. Because, That's right. because companies will pay higher wages still for remote workers. So, you know, somebody from my, you know, my end yeah. of the, the world, so in Gloucestershire they can go work four or five days a week for a London-based PR agency now, all yeah. of a sudden. And London-based weight, salary is going to be much higher than mine. Yeah. And I'm not going to match it. No. And also, I'm saying to people, I want them back in the office, because I do think that for us, again, it's the best thing. But for you know, for them right now, is that going to be forever? Do you think like that's the that opportunity over here where they're earning 20 grand, 30 grand a year more, over here working completely remotely, I don't buy that that's going to be the case forever.
2: Well, I don't know. This is what I would say, anyway. I For me, if you want to... Whoever works, we're not going to work from home. But of course, I've got guys that say to me they've got an appointment, and you—you're you, flexible. You get a little bit. Well, you, know, you know, I always say course. life
1: happens in and around work.
2: Yeah, you know, uh, and 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 there's that little bit of flexibility. But you know, we don't run our business from from home. And I think well, what's the point i saying? So I actually believe anyone works from home should be paid fifty percent less than the one coming into the office. So that's the, not that I'm going to have anyone work from home, but I think that pay pay them double. But take it off of them lazy fuckers. And they're not all lazy, but, you know, just 90% of them. And and pay this person double, right? And you share quick, they get back to work. You know what I mean? You share quick, they get back. The, the moment you know that you've made it is when you're in control of things. And I feel from working from home, you're not in control. As an employer, I felt entirely out
1: of control over the last three years. There you go. And now i feel like i'm in control
2: and, and and unfortunately i know many people that come up with stories they go yeah i do gym while i'm at home and i'm supposed to be working they're on a the machine and they're on like i don't know computer or not or i don't know what they're on and that and then i've got other people saying uh yeah i'll move this mouse around or something and then I've got other people saying uh yeah like i've been out all day, like and uh but they, had, they only ring me at five this evening you know, I've got, and, and I'm hearing these stories. I'm no, I mean, I've that.
1: heard them all. And, you know, if, if we're honest with ourselves, we've all heard people say that they get around things. Into, you know, like, you know, I, I know somebody who yeah does exactly that, moves a mouse around because it's monitored. But I'm not saying that that's everybody. Of course, but, but, but
2: unfortunately it's out there and it ruins it for, for, for a lot of people. But I think the point I was trying to say there was that, you know, they're in their pyjamas. And I tell you now, the claims that are going to come in from people working from home, they're going to want electricity costs, they're going to want, oh, I've got to put an office, you know, they're going to want them costs, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to start eating you with, oh, I've got a bad back because I ain't got the right desk. So you do it at work incorrectly. I mean, they're like on the set, in their pyjamas or in bed or whatever. And of course, they're going to get mental health problems. Of course, they're going to get bad back problems. But they're going to put that down to the company. And I feel that claims will come in left, right, and centre. I mean, I think it's going to be as far as well. I tripped over because I was going upstairs to get some of the paperwork of yours, and I broke my leg. they were going to—I think—they're going to really hit the employer with stupid claims. But they will happen, like mental health problems and and you know accidents. You know, I can even see someone like oh well, I spilt my coffee on my own computer. You know, they're going to want—they're going to want their own desk. You know, it's, I just feel. It's, it, it, the word is that you're not in control of your business, and and I believe on that basis that I can't see how it can be successful. What have you got left to achieve? Me, uh, uh, anything that's a straightforward question is complicated. What have we got left to achieve? Um, I think I think I'm I'm getting quite excited to prove that I can make it happen again. Yeah, I think I think that's exciting. So so I think I I, I think I'm trying to let everyone know that this one not a one-off. You know what I mean? I could do it. Because people say to me all the time, they go, do you think it was easier years ago like to run a business? Do you think this and think that? And I said, well, not necessarily. I said, because there's a lot more help now. There's a lot more... People talk about success now where before they were scared to talk about it. You know, people are... Every time I meet someone now, they're happy to tell you they think they're an entrepreneur. You know what I mean? I mean, if I go anywhere and they... You know, you always say they they go, uh, hey, hey, how's business? And I say, that's not too bad. And then... The question and you have to reverse the question you say "As yours they go oh f- funny you ask me I'm doing this I'm doing everybody's that you know? everybody's
1: the busiest the yeah most successful. that's right and then yeah, you
2: yeah. know I meet some people and they're like you know I say well, what, what what do you actually do like you know and they go uh, well I'm an entrepreneur okay what do you do and then he says well you know I fucking make and sold plate of cheese sandwiches or something you know and they think they're an entrepreneur I mean I don't like the word entrepreneur personally that's going to be my next question yeah I don't like the word entrepreneur I think too many people can can latch onto it. And I've said, I, I speak to people that sell a plate of cheese sandwiches. they call called someone entrepreneur. And I've got other... No, it is. They, I, I got, bet...
1: Like, I mean, it's, it feels like a last 15, 20 years thing, right? Last, maybe, I don't know, 10, 15, maybe since, I don't know, The Apprentice or something. You know, I, I can't quite pinpoint when it happened, but I remember you used to be a businessman, not an entrepreneur. Business, right. You know, business a business person. Not, yeah. not, not an entrepreneur. But the
2: businessman didn't say a lot about you, just you're a businessman. And, and then the word entrepreneur... People's imagination run away with it. I mean, sometimes I meet people and they go, "Oh, I hear you, you're an entrepreneur." I said, "Well, I run a plumbing business, you know, a successful one." But, and, and they start you they they use the word entrepreneur, and I think you you obviously want to be one. There's nothing it's like you know nothing wrong Cause, with it. It's, to it's
1: be. great to be entrepreneurial. Yes, you know. It's, it's, you yeah. Know, it's, it's a, but I don't. It's think, a laudable think the
2: word should be used as it's used to It's like. You know, the word success, you know, you can take that in different levels. I think that's the problem with the entrepreneur word. They want to be an entrepreneur, but I don't think they should say, I am one. I mean, there's a certain line, I think, to cross
1: before you're an entrepreneur. I think it's because people want to succeed much, much earlier, sooner, quicker. And I think social media has got a lot, you know, is is to blame as well because you look at that person over there, they're richer, more successful, better looking, funnier, you know, that perception is. Um, So, you know, you, you think, oh, well, I want that yesterday. Rather than apprenticing yourself to a you know to a trade or to a profession and becoming good at that, and I mean the reason I asked um, the the question about you know did you want to become well known is because for me fame should always be a byproduct of success, hard work, talent. That's right. All of those things.
2: It's a mixture.
1: It's you know because you weren't well known five years into running the company as you are now.
2: Yeah, no, of course. I mean, look, look, the 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 it's one thing that to be successful or an entrepreneur, if you want to call it that. And a lot of people miss it out. They miss the word out well, more than one word. It's called hard work. Mm. A lot of people forget that. And, and I think by using the word entrepreneur too early, you know, they've they just started off. And, they, they, and, and it all sounds good, you know what I mean? And I think, I mean, you don't have to reach the top of the ladder to be successful, but sure. you need to be on the ladder. And, um, you know, uh, undoubtedly... Besides drive, enthusiasm, willpower, wanting to succeed, it don't work without the hard work, you know. And, and uh, I mean, if it did, again, i will go back to what I always said, want to be a millionaire, wouldn't I? It's been, uh, <laughs> when people hear this, hopefully, um, you know, you find it the, it drives you on and, and, and it's enthusiastic. And, um, you know, always think bigger than, than what you think, but al- also be very honest with yourself that, you know, you know, don't don't think you're going to be a footballer if you've only got one leg or things like that, you know what I mean? Don't think you're going to be an entrepreneur if you're just selling, like, you know, cheese sandwiches. There's a lot more to it. It's like having a shower with no water, you know what I mean? It, it, ain't, it ain't how it's done. But anybody that goes to work, I actually... I, I won't say I look up to them, but I'm sort of... Uh, I really like the idea that people that work, and it doesn't matter if you're sweeping roads or, or, you know, you're a big bank manager, if you're going out there and contributing something to society and being you know i think that can make you proud just to go work completely
1: agree thank you very much for listening thank you i think that's a lovely way to end it and there we have it charlie mullins obe thank you to charlie thank you to you as a listener Always, always appreciate you. Thank you for subscriptions. I was actually told this week that reviews don't help algorithmically, that it's a big myth. And I've read around it. I don't know how true it is. I mean, still keep giving lovely reviews. Thank you. Uh, they are very kind. We read them all. I was told that it was more about subscriptions. So if you listen to this and you don't subscribe, please do. Uh, wherever you listen to it, on Apple, on Spotify, Um, Wherever you find your podcasts, go on, give it a subscribe. It will then download automatically every Monday. We have one guest left and it is an exciting one. It's a joyous, exuberant, positive interview coming up for the next episode. I said we would do 12 episodes. I lied. (laughs) We've got uh, one more and then what we might end up doing is I might go through each might do a couple of episodes in fact split into like a part one and a part two where I speak about the experience of interviewing each of the people in turn and give you some behind the scenes might be fun to answer some questions if you've got any questions that you'd like me to answer email hello at startinglinepod.com or message us on social media at us, whatever, uh, is Starting Line Show, at Starting Line Show on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Starting a podcast on Facebook and LinkedIn. Everything gets read, ask away, and I will try to get to any and all questions that do get sent my way. As I say, I think we are fairly close in the next few weeks to being wrapped up for Series 1. We've got some fantastic guests lined up for Series 2. In fact... <laughs> And I always toyed with not saying this. We had a guest I was supposed to be recording with on Friday that would have completely changed my initial weekend plans, at least with my friends for the rugby. An A-list actor, somebody that you would undoubtedly know, somebody that I was incredibly excited to record with. So I hurriedly researched. I hurriedly put together a schedule. I booked flights. I booked a hotel, changed some times, and then it fell through. These things happen. I was thinking that, that person would be the serious finale, but it wasn't to be. I've been told that it might end up happening December, January. So hopefully then when we're recording with video as well, you would get to hear, watch that interview with that person. Honestly, incredibly excited for that one. But conversations happen all the time. You know, I think if I can give you anything behind the scenes, you know, the inside of running a podcast alongside also running a a PR agency is that there are at any point half a dozen conversations going on in relation to scheduling, dates, um, you know, basically it's just, so many balls in the air, and it's exciting. You know, it's. Uh, I want to bring you as many great conversations as I can with fun, successful, interesting people with a great story to tell. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I worried before putting it out, but again, just to reiterate what I said in the intro, I think it's important that we do cross the aisle, so to speak, sometimes that that we do speak to people whose thoughts, views we don't necessarily agree with and let them make those points, let them speak and we can then judge on merit and or merit of those beliefs and thoughts rather than just out of hand, dismiss, cancel, again, there's some air quotes there, and get upset with people that we just don't, again, out of hand like. Thank you for listening to my rambles in fact one of the intros I did this morning was me walking through a rainy Paris city centre the quality was just not good enough it really wasn't, I'm trying to put together a world class podcast for you, for god's sake (laughs) so this is hopefully much much better, much more listenable thank you until next week bye now